morning, everybody. Uh, grab your Bible. We're fixing to jump into a new series. We're moving into 2 Corinthians. I'm pretty pumped about it. Uh, reading through it several times to get prepped. And it's, uh, I've read it before, but you know when you're about to share God's Word, sometimes it just you get anxious about it. Well, that's where I'm at. So uh, grab your Bible, jump in there. I hope you had a good week. It's been a pretty busy couple of weeks around here. We had a great team in town uh, from Tennessee and Kentucky last week. And man, it was so good to just have people back. And uh, I'm not going to name them off, but uh, you guys know who you are. Love you guys, man. It was such a privilege to have y'all here. So um, can't wait for you to come back, expecting that to happen, just so you know. Anyway, go ahead and grab your Bibles, jump in. We're not, uh, this is not church. Uh, this is not church online, none of that stuff. This is me opening God's Word and pulling it out. We want you to come, hang out with us, come to church tonight and hang out. Church is when we gather together. And we'll talk through this text tonight and we'll work through um, discussion on it and prayer. Spend some quality time in prayer. If there's things you want prayer for or whatnot, man, hit us up. Come out. You can find us online um, at our website, social media, and uh, hit me up. We'll, we'll tell you how to find us and, and love for you to come hang out. So anyway, as I say, we're moving into a new series called Cross-Shaped Life. And you'll understand what that means as we go through it, but that's what we're calling it, a life that is shaped by the cross. Uh, we have a theme verse. I always like to do that. kind of keeps us focused around a thought. And so that verse is 1 Corinthians 2.2. I know we're doing 2 Corinthians, but they're same author, same audience. So uh, this you'll understand. I'll talk about it later. But uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2 says, Paul says, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's going to kind of be our theme today. We're going to look at a cross-shaped life, and we're going to kind of consider the fact that the way Paul saw it was no more than that and no less than that. Uh, his, his life was shaped by the cross, no more, no less, and we'll, we'll come to that. But a cross was an instrument of death, as you probably well know. So to say your life is shaped by the cross, this instrument of death, what does that mean? I mean, what, is, what, what does that mean? It means our lives are shaped by it, not as an instrument of death, but by its purpose in the hands of God. And, and we'll talk for, you know, the whole series here on what that means. But, it, but in the long and short of it, it's not so much about it being an instrument of death, but, but it's per, when we talk about it shaping our lives, but by its purpose in the hands of God to shape our lives. What if your entire life was guided by that cross? No more uh, in your life than what was seen on the cross and no less in your life than what was given on the cross. No more in your life than what was seen right there and no less than what was given in that moment on the cross. Uh, would it change you? I mean, in what ways would it change you? Maybe you need to note those things. Maybe you should write those things down. Make a list of what ways your life might look different if it was actually lived moment by moment, no more, no less than what was given on that cross, what was seen on that cross. Let's start thinking about those changes now. That's what we're going to be talking about for weeks. So let's read 2 Corinthians 1, uh, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians as well. But for 2 Corinthians 1, uh, or yeah, I'm sorry, 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word as always. It is amazing. It is your word. It is your truth. It is your voice. I pray I don't ever add to it. I don't ever leave it um, left behind either. Let me preach and proclaim it in a way that glorifies you and you only. Um, Let it be something I learn from even as my mouth shares it because it's your word. And ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, I mentioned that team and they could tell you, but if you've been out here and you've, you've seen it, you know, out here to Phoenix or the Phoenix area, the desert out here, either way, God blessed Molly and I with calling us to this place to plant. Sometimes uh, I pinch myself, you know, Molly and I talk every, uh, almost every week. One of us says at some point, man, we live here. Uh, and God put it in our heart to love this place, but it, it but it really is one of the most beautiful places. It certainly is one of the most photographed places between the sunsets and the the desert, the cactus, uh, the the stars, the moon is so big, the wildlife. I, I love the West, man. I love photography. I love photography, particularly that captures landscapes. That's more where my heart is. I like to see the perspective that someone else has when they look at something whether it be the skies or the trees or whatever. And I especially like when they seem to capture something that only they were there for, as if they there was some wild moment in history and they just happened to be the only one there and catch it. I love that kind of photography. Um, It's wild how a lens can affect your interpretation of what's around you. It can change your view. It can cause you to notice things differently. It can cause you to look back at things uh, carefully that you didn't catch before. It may even change the way you look at everything from that moment forward based on the way a lens might trans uh, translate something for your eyes. But for Paul, the cross was his lens. That was it. Once he saw Christ through that cross, because he didn't always, but once he saw Christ through that cross, he was never the same Ever, ever. It changed everything. He was completely unable to consider his life, discuss his life, live his life, share his life apart from the cross. He couldn't do it. Everything for him was the cross. So today, when we think of who we are, who we want to be, how we want to live, um, I hope the cross is at the center of that. For you, for me. Our entire life, that our entire lives mirror Christ crucified. Uh, that our language is filled with it. Even to the point that we greet each other with it. We say goodbye with it. You know, that, that's where I hope we are. I don't have an outline today, but I'm going to begin with some background, some context here. Uh, first, Paul, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Paul, if you don't know, this, you can go to Acts chapter 9, uh, in, in and around there, you'll see his story. But he was a, ver- a Pharisee that viciously persecuted Jews who converted to Christianity, who turned their lives over to this Jesus, until he personally met Jesus, uh, who had already died on the cross, been buried and risen, introduced himself to Paul in Acts chapter 9, and Paul went on to become the first real missionary, Christian missionary, the most recognized church planner for sure in all of history. And because of him, uh, the church spread to the Gentiles, which means that if you're uh, not a Jew, if you're a Gentile today, that means that you are able as a Christian to thank 
Paul or what God did through Paul in Paul's life. Paul mentions Timothy in that text. Timothy was a a son in the faith. He was a, a disciple of Paul. I'm not going to spend more time than that. You can look up on Timothy if you want. Um, the background on Corinth, we're talking about Corinthians. Those are the people who lived in a place called Corinth, which was in Greece. Acts chapter 18 details the moment when Paul first came to Corinth. I'm not going to read all of it. You can go read it in your time. But one commentary sums it up like this. Paul had come to Corinth around 50 AD, we think, um, which so just about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So after difficult, he came there after difficult experiences in Thessalonica and Berea and a less than satisfactory reception in Athens. He supported himself by his profession of making tents along with a Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who had fled Rome because of Emperor Claudius's edict requiring all Jews to leave. Paul's prestige as a rabbi made it easy for him to be a participant in the activities of the local synagogue. And each Sabbath, he used this to persuade Jews and Greeks that Jesus was the Messiah. As people began to be converted, opposition arose within the Jewish community. So Paul turned to the Gentiles with the gospel and he stayed in Corinth almost two years. And a strong church was founded of both Jews and Gentiles. So Paul's arrival in Corinth was during his second missionary journey. He had three journeys. So during his second one, uh, that's when he came to Corinth. But it's between his, or it's uh, during his third trip around the, the sea and the, the third missionary journey that he writes what we're reading. So obviously he'd been there before and now he's writing back to them. So one and two, first and second Corinthians were likely written between 52 and 55-ish. AD, excuse me, so uh, the background on Corinth, like what was it all about? Well, it was an urban city. Uh, it was gigantic for ancient times. It uh, would have been like a New York or a Phoenix, uh, actually probably more like a Las Vegas, but a whole lot bigger um, in, in comparison. So it was, uh, historians guess it was around 700,000 or maybe a little less than that. So again, huge for the ancient world. And Corinth, it's in Greece. It's only about 50 miles from Athens. I'll show you a map here and I'll click through a couple of them where you can see them. But, um, it is as you zoom in, uh, from up above, you can see where Greece is and I'll pop down and get a little bit closer. You begin to see the, the, uh, area where it was in relation to Athens. Really close by, and I'll zoom right on in and, and uh, stop right there a minute. And here you can see right where it is exactly, pretty well. Um, it's about 50 miles from Athens. So Athens is just off that picture there, but it's about 50 miles from Athens, not far at all. So um, what's pretty wild is that its location made it huge in terms of... Um, success and growth as a city there's only four miles of land that separate these two gulfs and so it was seated in such a fantastic place in 67 a.d nero uh, decided that he was going to build a canal to connect these two it had been talked about for years hundreds of years really prior to that but he decided to build a canal he didn't even make a mile of those four miles before he died um, and all of that stopped. He had Jewish prisoners actually trying to build it for him. And so all that was abandoned and it didn't get completed until 1893. 
very long time before it got completed, but even now it's too shallow for the major freighters that we see now that, that, that cross these kinds of things. But way back in the 7th century, if you go way back to the 7th century B.C., B.C., uh, the ruler of Corinth then had built this carriageway that went over land and people could take their boats and cross this isthmus from gulf to gulf. Um, because of that, it made Corinth a dominant place, an infamous city and one that supplied like all the desires of a person's heart, whether you travel by land or by sea. You can imagine the pirate life would probably describe it pretty well. Um, one commentary says, uh, the city had developed an unapologetic love of things and a love of pleasure. It was full of people from all over the world who wanted to make money and have fun. On the hill overlooking Corinth was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, who's the goddess of lust or carnal love. Um, its male and female prostitutes made sex a part of the religion, and they participated in the nightlife of the city when they were not at the temple. Um, one commentary notes that it was so notorious that in all parts of the Greek-speaking world, if men or women were found behaving in an unclean way, the worst that anybody could say of them was that they acted like Corinthians. Uh, it was like being in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's like being called, did you say it, you were from Sodom and Gomorrah, or something we might say today, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know. When you look at that location right there, right on the sea, I really do. I think about pirates sailing up. So as we continue on, uh, talk about the church that Paul references that's planted there. Paul names names in his letters. He's speaking to, of people specifically that, that would read this. So it's a local church. It's not just a global church that's in the grand region of Greece known as Corinth. It is a local church body with specific people and specific names. Um, but think about the fact that Paul chose to plant a church in that environment. Think about the fact that Paul chose to put a church in that environment. Because the truth is, actually, Paul did not choose to do that. God led Paul to do that. That's why Paul says he was called by God and nobody else. Um, I'm sure if it was up to him, just like us, he would have found a much easier path. He would have chosen a much easier place, but God compelled him to, to, to go there and to plant a church there. Imagine the chore of making disciples in that place. Not just trying to preach Jesus loves you, but making disciples. All of them coming out of humanistic, self-satisfying paganism. And they're completely new to Christianity. No basis for understanding it at all. You know, I, I remember a girl I dated a long time ago, um, back when I was a drug addict, but I was raised in a Christian home and knew the Bible and knew, knew God and, and all of that, but it, but it was bound up in drugs. And I was with this girl who had no background of faith in Jesus and I remember, and you know, we'd party together and all these different kind of things. But I remember the first time she asked me if I believe in God. And when I said, of course, she asked me, which one? 
And it blew me away, man. I was genuinely shocked by that answer. I know, I know, Bible Belt, I know. Um, but many months later, despite my drug addiction and my distractions, honestly, in her life, despite all of that, she came and told me that she prayed this prayer and had asked Jesus into her heart and was, you know, a Christian now. And she'd done it all by herself. She'd done it as she was out on her own. And had this moment. I remember being surprised then as well that she did it by herself. I know. But almost immediately, an elderly woman came into her life and kind of assumed almost a mentor role. It all happened so fast. And this woman kind of filled her with a lot of spiritualism that was really garbage. It was, it was a lot of uh, wrong teaching. They kind of blended spiritualism into Christianity, and she just ran after it, totally embraced it, um, and it, it, it led her down a horrible path, you know. Um, and I, obviously, I don't know where she is today, but but I was just thinking, I, I feel like Paul was probably facing all kinds of things like that in Corinth. The Jews would have had a foundation, but the rest, the majority of those who were Greeks that lived in Corinth, no, none at all. And there's no reference here to the church being persecuted, although they could have been. But they were extremely counterculture if they were obedient to the word of God, that's for sure. It would have been like drug addicts who got clean but then lived in a drug house. You know, uh, in previous times, the culture of sex and party and excess and all these things would have been the first most uh, powerful enemy to invade the church, and in First Corinthians, he does deal with that in some of those letter, some of that letter that he writes. But uh, it's highly likely that the Jews or the Jewish Christians, even who are demanding loyalty to the Jewish laws and that kind of stuff, that that's the struggle Paul's facing more of here in Second Corinthians. And this is the beginning of the Christian church there, no doubt. But the Jewish presence had been there for a long time. The Jewish presence had been there quite a while. In fact, Paul always notes, you can read all his letters, he always notes that he goes first when he arrives in a town to the local synagogue. Um, I think that he did that because the word of God is there. I mean, it's not like there's a bookstore with Bibles around. I mean, you go where the word of God is, it was in the local synagogue. Whether, Regardless of how they felt about Jesus, God's word, scripture, would have been kept in the local synagogue. So Paul would always go there first. And look, if if Paul was going to reach a community, um, it would make perfect sense that the Jewish people in Corinth would be the best to reach the community of Corinth if he's going to plant a church. Because um, they'd be best equipped to do it. They already had the word of God. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. It made sense. But... Time after time after time, just like with Christ, they completely rejected Paul. They completely rejected Paul's message of this crucified Jesus as the Messiah. So Paul went next door in Corinth, literally, you can look at it in Acts 18. He went next door to the synagogue and planted a church. (laughs) Um, I'm sure it was frustrating for him. But God told Paul something amazing. I do want to show you this. This is in Acts 18 and verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid. This is in Corinth. Don't be afraid. But go on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Watch this. For I have many in this city who are my people. And 
Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That's amazing. The Lord told Paul, look, you don't realize it, but I have people here that belong to me, even if they don't know it yet. Know what I'm saying? That's good news, right? Uh, one more detail to know, most all scholars agree that Paul wrote at least four letters to Corinth. So we have two of them, but they're not the first and second letters chronologically. I'm not going to go off all into that. You can research it if you want. I'm just pointing it out because both letters reference some conversations or things that were said or mentioned previously, but we don't have the previously. Um, it doesn't change anything. We read the Bible to see God. So when we come across those, we'll work through them. How do they help us see God better? Uh, but before we go on into 2 Corinthians 1, I want to go and look at the verse I've read already that's shaping this study. It's easy to remember because it's the flip from 2 Corinthians 1 to 1 Corinthians 2. All right, so that's where we're going to flip back. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 2, and we'll move quick. We're not covering a lot today. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, it says, And I, Paul... When I came to you, he's, he's writing back to Corinthians and he's Corinth and he's saying, Hey, you Corinthians, when I came to you back then, brothers, did not, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing or forget everything else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I like the way the message words, it's not a Bible translation, it's a Bible interpretation where you can look it, look it up. Uh, it's a good just kind of way to read through the idea behind what's being said in the text of the Bible. But in the message, it words it this way. I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then, Jesus and what he did. That's a great way to look at it. Basically, the person and the work. Jesus is the person. The cross is the work. That's all Paul laid on them over and over and over. Look, a lot of people love to preach Jesus. A lot do. They preach this smiling Jesus that's a hippie, hugging them all, loving Jesus that wants everybody in the door, opens the door to anybody, uh, you know, is only wanting for everybody to be happy all the time. And Paul did not preach a simple Jesus. Paul might have preached a Jesus who loves you, but Paul preached a Jesus who loves you because Paul preached a Jesus who was on a cross, who was crucified. Why would Paul focus on that? Why would Paul focus? What's the message of the cross? Can you tell it? What is the message of the cross? It highlights the wickedness of mankind. It highlights the sinfulness of man's heart. When you look at the cross, it paints a picture of God's heart. The heart of God and his love for his people. It's painted when you see the cross. It displays God's justice on sin. He is a just God and sin will be dealt with. And you see that in the cross. It shows grace like no other place that Jesus would get on that cross for you. And then claim as he's being spit at, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It shows that Jesus was a man because he died. It shows that he was all God because he took on the sins of the world. And only God could do that. No other religion displays grace, justice, and love 
in one place, in one act, and in one person like the cross. Only in Christ, only in Christianity. Paul is in the pleasure capital of the world, perhaps. Paul is in the pleasure capital of the world. And he is preaching crucifixion. Let's just think about how popular that was. His only focus was Christ as the sacrifice for sin. That's it. In the pleasure capital of the world, and he's preaching Christ as the sacrifice for sin. Rather than find a hook or some attractive way to uh, preach a message or some attractive event uh, to, to embrace the culture that was looking for pleasure and happiness. Instead of doing any of that, it was the suffering of the cross that Paul proclaimed. I'm not sure that was a popular approach. But he made the decision beforehand, he said, and committed to it. It doesn't mean we have to be offensive, guys, when we preach the cross. It doesn't mean that because the cross is offensive. Paul did it actually humbly and meekly. He even said that. He didn't use big fancy words. I didn't do all those things. He did it humbly and meekly. Uh, the, the cross is already offensive enough. The cross, the gospel is offensive, but those who proclaim it don't have to be. Don't have to be, but we have to proclaim it. Christ crucified. It provided the lens for Paul to write 2 Corinthians, what we're looking at. Many refer to 2 Corinthians as a type of autobiography that Paul wrote in a sense. It would make sense to believe that because the cross shaped all of Paul's life. And this is why he greets them the way he does. Go back to 2 Corinthians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, back to our text. This is why Paul greets them. Like, look at all the language he uses in just this greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia. That's the country, um, excuse me, that would be like the county. And people came from all over the county to this church. Uh, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says it's not a question of college degrees here. It's not a question of his university uh, paperwork on the wall. It's not a question of all the alphabetical uh, letters after his name. It's not about his seminary education. It's not about his ability to teach in front of the masses, but that Christ had appointed him to ministry. By the will of God, he was appointed to ministry. And Paul, he might likely add that you have to walk through some affliction to be in this position too, because that's what he did. That's part of the reason why he's suggesting that it's by the will of God. As I mentioned before, anybody else probably would have given up after some of the stuff he's been through. But he didn't. But it's encouraging to me to know that Jesus calls, God calls, God equips, God empowers for what God wills that we would do. And we, we can study. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong or bad. I'm just saying that we are appointed by the will of God. We are called by the will of God. And that's enough. That's enough. Um, Paul wrote in, Galatians 1, one. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Nobody told him 
appointed him or gave him some kind of charge or degree. He said God did alone. Um, Notice Paul refers to himself as an apostle here. I'm not going to go all off in the details of that, but I will note that Timothy he calls a brother. doesn't call Timothy an apostle. Not every believer is an apostle automatically. Not even every pastor because Timothy became a pastor, nor every missionary because Timothy's a missionary. Not, those are not automatic appointments as an apostle. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it now. we we'll talk about it later. But an apostle was a very unique office. And if, if it's still here today, it's just as unique. And we can talk about it another time. But, but Paul is not, though, bragging on it and lording it over people. I am the apostle Paul. Because he brings Timothy up. Timothy is his partner. Timothy is his witness. Timothy's there with him. They're, they're in this together. He calls them a church. When he points out the church of God, this at Corinth, he does that, I think, to, to remind them they were bought with a price. They're not their own. They're part of the body of Christ. They belong to him. Uh, they're already believers because he calls them saints. He's not talking about super Christians here. He's not talking about somebody the Pope appointed. He's saying they are saints because they are paid for by the blood of Christ. They're bought. Uh, but their behavior here is definitely out of control. That's one reason he's writing to them. And he wishes them grace and peace. That's not about salvation. That's about their character and how they live their lives. That they they should be living their life uh, under grace and in peace. And he mentions God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, to have the authority of one is to have the authority of both. To have the message of one is to hear the message of both. To be greeted by one is to be greeted by both. They are the same. It is it is the, the Trinity here. Again, we don't have time to go into all that, but Paul is painting a picture of God as one. And to use the Father here, our Father, he's pointing to this loving relationship of God. No other, no other religion, no other religion puts God in such an intimate place as to be our Father. What a greeting. The cross shaped all of that for Paul. Paul references father and son there as he closes, uh, or as I close, and I'll point that back out. Consider the he uses the language of father and son. He references both of them in light of having a life lived by Christ crucified. Think about that for just a second. In the days of the flood... God said, I will destroy man whom I have created off the face of the earth. But here, the son says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And the father says, I will destroy my son for the men and women that I have created on the face of the earth. The cross shapes everything. The power of the cross is overwhelming, guys. It's overwhelming. And the the best that the world has to offer just becomes sewage when you look at the cross. And and nothing compares. It led Paul to write in Galatians 6.14, I've been crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. I don't have any need for any of it. It's dead to me. Maybe you need to return to the cross. 
Maybe you need, and I'm not talking about Good Friday cross here. I'm not, not shaming that. I'm just saying I'm not talking about a candlelight service and stuff. I'm saying maybe you need to remember you carry one. Or you should. Maybe you need to remember that you're, you're only saved because of that cross. Because of the grace that God extended to you. To you. While we were yet sinners. And he called you by name because of the will of the Father. He called you by name. Maybe it's time that you know nothing else for a while. Nothing else for a while except the Christ and him crucified. What would that look like? What would your life look like? Look, for Paul, man, keeping the cross at the center of his life, it was not a chore. It was not a chore. And that's because grace had been such a gift to him. He, he, was, he, he, he was shocked to the point that he never stopped being shocked. Never stopped being shocked at realizing that God loved him. The person that he had been and God loved him. That he killed the people of Christ and then Christ loved him. Uh, something that he never was able to recover from. It was never able to get over it. Maybe today you feel like, you know what, God couldn't love me. Maybe you feel like God shouldn't love you. Maybe you think you're not worth loving. Look at the cross. He did that for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He climbed on that cross and he died like that because he loves you just like you are right now. Enough playing games. Let go of it. Tell him today that he can have your life. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for anybody today that might be on the edge of giving their life to you. Let it be today that they look at that cross and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And they surrender their life to you, Lord Jesus. I pray you fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them to people who will disciple them well. Hopefully, Lord, if they're close, they'd come to us. We love you, Lord. Help us live our lives knowing nothing but the cross, nothing but Christ crucified, and that it would guide our steps. We'd never get over grace. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.